Let's open our Bibles, please, to the 20th chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs 20. You know, this chapter contains eight no-nos, or eight taboos, we'll call them. Proverbs chapter 20. No-no, you know. First one is addiction to strong drink. That's a no-no in the sight of God. It says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. There's so much in that verse, it could use the whole message on it, but we're just going to comment on each verse. As we said before, uh, a time or two, that each verse is almost a sermon in itself. And each time, each time you change the verse, you get into a new message as you go along, though some of them are related, but basically you have a new little short sermon in each verse. So addiction to strong drink certainly is is the wrong thing, and that's not right for anyone. Uh, actually, when it says, uh, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging, whosoever deceived thereby is not wise, it means the one that's given to wine. It's the opposite of, of humble alertness. One that's intoxicated does not have time to learn and grow in wisdom and in knowledge. Uh, in the New Testament it says, be not drunk with wine when is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And we're to be really intoxicated with the things of God rather than to be intoxicated with wine or something that would is of fleshly uh, uh, nature. Now then, I want you to notice verse 2. The second thing that's a no-no is disobedience to civil law. We have a lot of disobedience and lawlessness in, lawlessness in our world today. It says, The fear of a king is as the roaring lion, whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. He brings destruction upon himself. You know, you could go into the book of Romans again. And by the way, there are several passages that we've um, studied here that teach about civil law. Uh, and you read the 13th of Romans and you'd find that uh, the ministers of God are the law enforcement and the laws of our land and the laws of any land. If it were not for laws, where would we be today? If it were not for laws, you say, well, some of them are not right. Well, the best thing to do is make the laws uh, correspond with the things of God, and they'll be right. And we know a lot of laws are uh, going overboard in some direction and not strong enough in other directions. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't abide by the law. And the best way, the best testimony for a Christian is to be a law-abiding citizen. I believe that Christians, a good, true child of God and a the one that's living for God is the best citizen the nation can have. Because they believe that it's a moral duty. I remember one time I sold, I used to sell these little toys and things that I'd make down the shop during time when, <laughs> when it was real necessary. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I had these little rubber band guns little uh, that had two clothespins on them, you know. And one day, a uh, fellow I'd worked for, he wanted some for his grandchildren. And I sold him, and I think I got $7 a piece for him, and he bought two or three of them. And he gave me cash, and he says, you won't have to turn that in. I says, why not? As income. I said, why not? He said, well, he says, I'm not morally obligated to this, this country. Well, listen, if you're morally obligated to God, you're morally obligated to your country. You see, when you break, uh, Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, right? You say, well, I got it cash and I don't have to turn it in. I don't either, but I do. That's some of, for some of you to think about. It. Maybe you don't. 
And uh, you say, well, it's all right. The government will never know and the IRS will never know. No, they won't know, but I know and God knows. That's the only way I leave it. And if you want to do it the other way, that's your business. I'm not going to interfere with that. But it says, The fear of a king is as a roaring lion who so provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. Disobedience to the civil law is not right. And then we find in verse 3, and we, we could turn over in Romans 13 if you don't believe what I'm talking about. You read Romans chapter 13, if you will. And it says that there are many... Ministers of God to thee for good, they bear not the sword in vain. We're talking about our policemen, our law enforcement, and whatever they are obliged to do because of the laws of our land, we're supposed to obey those laws and not to try to, to shun them or get out of, of obedience to the laws of the land. Uh, and you can read that whole passage. And even though it says they're ministers of God to thee for good, it doesn't mean that all of the uh, policemen or all the judges or all the uh, uh, law enforcement or all the legislation is uh, comes from uh, godly men and that they're all Christians. It doesn't mean that. It means that the powers that be are ordained of God. Now, you may have some good Christian policemen. You may have some that are rotten. You may have some that are that are ungodly and some just as sinful as they can be. But that doesn't mean that the laws that they're to uphold is not to be respected. And I could go on and preach a sermon on that, but let's look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling or he will be uh, quarreling, meddling or quarreling. Now look at that again. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. Here you find a man that's not easily provoked. Cease from strife. Don't get in an argument with someone. Don't argue just for the sake of argument. Take your stand. Stand upon your convictions. But if a man wants to argue about things and strive about things, uh, we need not to do that. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Look at verse 4. It says, and here's another thing, that uh, there, it's a no-no. We said, first of all, addiction to strong drink is a no-no. Disobedience to civil law is a no-no. And then, rejection of the work ethic is a no-no. The sluggard, look at verse 4, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. You know what the sluggard wants? He wants ease and comfort and softness. He wants to take it easy, and yet he... He uh, doesn't want to uh, face the cold or the winter. You have in the marginal reference the winter when it's cold to do the work. Therefore, shall he beg in the harvest. It doesn't mean that he'll go out and beg from his neighbor in the harvest, but that means his harvest will be lacking. That means he won't have anything to show for, uh, uh, for uh, in the crop or in the field because he hasn't plowed. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, shall he beg in harvest. In other words, he'll have no harvest coming and have nothing. Look at verse 5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. We talked this, uh, about this verse. It's insight into human nature. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You'll get close to the person and you'll know his inmost feelings and his needs. Look at verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Do we all not? Everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. Faithfulness and steadfastness and looking things uh, square in the face, so to speak. Weighing both sides of the matter. Instead of just proclaiming our own goodness and uh, consider that, you know, there's two sides to everything. Then in verse 7 it says, The just man walketh in his 
in his integrity. Uh, his children are bless, uh, blessed after him. Look at that. A father's best legacy is his children. They're blessed after him. He walks in his integrity and then it's uh, seen in his children because they're blessed after him. In verse uh, 8, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. We talk about where righteous judgment is. There he can get rid of evil. His, uh, it says he, he scattereth away all evil with his eyes. In other words, he brings judgment where it belongs. He's hard on crime and wickedness and sin. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. In other words, he can take a stand against all that is causing the problem because he has the power to do it. By the way, the Lord has power to bring into judgment and he will one of these days and he does now during this life at some time or other. We think we understand all the comings and goings of men, but you know, God still has to do with man and every one of us. The Bible says, listen carefully, Hebrews 4 verse 12, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow. And listen, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Look at that. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. They are all open to God. Verse 9. Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. This is where self-help fails. To help ourselves to say we're clean and I'm pure from my sin is not the answer. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our cleansing comes through the blood of Christ and our salvation comes through the blood of Christ. And it says the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Revelation 1, 5 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You say, well, how can that be? Because God required that there be a sacrifice for sin, an atonement made for sin, a covering for sin. And Jesus answered that purpose and plan of God. Now look at the next verse in verse 10. Here's something else that's a no-no. Dishonesty in business. Dishonesty in business. You know, if you're dishonest in business, you're dishonest in other ways. Uh, A true child of God will be honest in his business dealings. He doesn't just live a Christian life on Sunday and go out and cheat his fellow man on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. He just doesn't do that. He lives Christianity every day. And in his dealings with others, he's going to be honest. Look at this. Diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. In other words, a short weight. If you say, here's ten pounds and there's only nine or eight. So, oh yeah, it's ten pounds. I think I told some of you one time I bought a load of gravel down there from a, when I had that little rent house and I bought a ten yard, eight or, eight or ten yard load of gravel. And I ended up getting about three or four yards. I began to check up on it and found out I went down to the place where the one that hauled the gravel bought it. Asked how much he bought. The guy told me exactly. And it was about three yards short. And, you know, I confronted him. I, even when he put it down and dropped the load of gravel, I said, that doesn't look like a... I think it was an eight-yard load, and I got about uh, 
four or five or something like that. But anyways, two or three yards short. And I said, that sure doesn't look like a load of gravel. No, guy said to me, he said, well, yes, it is. Can't you see that's an eight-yard truck? And I said, yeah, I see the truck's eight-yard, but I don't see the gravel eight-yard. You know, you can have a big truck with a little in it. But anyway, to, to make a long story short, I thought, well, I'll just check on to make sure I don't want to accuse the man falsely or think wrong. So I went down and I found out exactly how much he was charged out and Tell you what, you know that that's not right, is it? If you if I tell a man something's worth, uh, uh, he has uh, six yards or something, there ought to be six yards there. I get amazed at these guys cutting wood nowadays. Don't you? They'll have a little old pickup there, and they'll pile some wood up on it. You know, quarter wood. You know how much a quarter wood is? Four by four by eight. You that's stacked. I mean, that's in good order. And I'm telling you, you throw that on a little old pickup and you can't get it all on there. Especially without the sideboards. And I mean, they're pretty good ones too. But these guys, yeah, I brought you a quart of wood. Say, well, will you stack it up in the yard? No, we just unload it. And they pile it every kind of direction, make it look big, you know. But anyway, that's wrong in the sight of God, friends. Being honest all during the week is what God expects of us. He expects honesty. And it pays. Now look. In verse 11 it says, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. A child's character. Have you ever seen children play? When little kids get out there and play, you can tell where they're coming from. I mean, if they're in the habit at home of getting everything for themselves, you see the selfishness come out. If they're in the habit of sharing with the, with others and give someone, if they get something and hand uh, part of the piece of candy or one of the toys to another child, you know they've been raised up to be unselfish. If they're always whining about something, you can tell where their character is. Children reveal their character. Well, then how much more do you and I reveal it from time to time? Then verse 12, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. God gave us the ear and the eye. By grace alone are the things that we have. He gave us two ears to hear and two eyes to see and one mouth. And there's a reason for that too. Love not sleep lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Fellow just wants to sleep all the day away and all the night away and all the next day away. They used to have a saying, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Some of you have heard that. They used to say the early bird gets the worm. And I said, who wants the worm anyway? But you do need some sleep, right? And as far as you know, we have so many different kinds of occupations today uh, that men have night jobs. Well, they naturally have to sleep in the daytime. They have to sleep sometime. And so the main thing is just not to waste your life away. In slumber, you, you just, you're just you required six days, seven or eight hours of sleep. Most everyone needs about that much. But you can overdo it. But the thing about it is, you spend some time working as well as sleeping. In verse 14, It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, look at this, but when he is, when he is gone, then he boasteth. He says, what a bargain. You know, if the guy comes up to buy something, it's not worth anything. You know, that, that straw you have there, or that piece of machinery, you know, that's not worth $50. He goes away and says, I sure got a bargain that's worth $200. And it really becomes, you know, it really becomes valuable when he once pays you that little bit. Pay a fair, fair price for things. Something's worth a price, pay it. So that both parties are satisfied. Don't go try to always bargain with people and say, well, you know, 
If it's worth the money, buy it. If it's not, leave it alone. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I try to like get the bargains I can. Well, I, everyone likes a bargain, but if the person wants to sell you something for a certain price, you ought to give them a fair price. I know that's not done much this day and hour. And then, there is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Look at this. You can have gold and multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge. What is the most valuable thing? Are a precious jewel. Look at verse uh, 16. Verse 16. Take his garment that is surety for a stranger, and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. In other words, do not be lending without any collateral, without any security. The bankers learned this a long time ago, didn't they? And then in verse 17. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. It means this is sin's aftertaste. Sin's aftertaste. Look at this. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. The aftertaste of sin is of such. And then in verse 18, look at this one. Every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice make war. You, you have to have good counsel and good advice before you move. Be open to good advice, and with good advice make war. If you're going out to battle, you better get some strategy. By the way, I've heard a little about strategy lately, so I'm not going to say much about that. I think some of our young people will get that sooner or later. You know, they're quick to understand. Strategy. Work out your strategy before you move. Okay? <laughs> I could... Well, let's go. Uh, in verse uh, 19, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. That enticeth with his lips. The word flatter, it means entice. By the way, flattery is a sin. Did you know it? Beware of gossip. Do not participate in gossip. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. In one place, a talebearer and whisperer are kind of synonymous. Now in verse 20, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Disrespect to parents. His lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Did not the first commandment say, Honor thy father and thy mother, that what? Thy days shall be long upon the earth which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And here is the man that does not. His lamp shall be put out in, pure, in obscure darkness. He may come to a tragic end. Look in verse 21. It says, An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. man wants to make it all at one time and say, Boy, I'm going to really make it, and then I'm just going to sit back. The end thereof shall not be blessed. What happens if a man makes all the money he can store up, and then at the end of his life, he ends up with someone waiting on him, Someone feeding him up here in the care center. And all of his money won't buy anything but just his daily bread, his daily care. And he's very fortunate to have that. And older folks in that condition are fortunate to have that. Better than being out on the street, isn't it? A whole lot better to be cared for. All your custodial needs taken care of. But on the other hand, rich and poor alike come to a point in life that levels off everything. And especially in death is appointed to men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. So don't think that this life holds it all. Paul says, having food and raiment, listen, let us therewith be content. I've learned, uh, you know, God has, has blessed, blessed my life, and I'm thankful for it. And I can look and see that, you know, 
back when times were really bad, that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, even though it was bad. The Lord made us, uh, helped us through it. When I was growing up, I thought everybody was poor. I didn't know there were any rich folks to be seen. There wasn't any around me anyway. I remember one time I was going up the road there as a little old boy and old Uncle Charlie Weems where that janitorial supply is right across from, it was janitorial, sold out again, right across from Ridos Office Supply, that old big building. Old Uncle Charlie Weems, he had a little old bucket of windfall apples, about a little syrup bucket they used to have to bring syrup in the buckets, you know. Some of you know about that and some don't. Anyway, this little syrup bucket was full of those little old apples. They're about that big around. Hail specks on them. One had wormholes in them and so on. Man, he gave me that little bucket of apples and I thought I had the world. I went home and I cut those apples in two and I'd eat one now and then. Say, was all that kind of... Yeah, but it was an apple. We were not used to having anything. I'm telling you, we were poor. We didn't have anything. Mother would wash on the washboard. A rub board to make 25, 50 cents where we could buy a quart of milk and a little box of cereal, cornflakes or something. You couldn't even begin to buy them nowadays, but you can buy them for probably 15 cents in those days. Get a whole big box. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I took a little thing up to Odie and, and my mother-in-law today that told how you washed clothes out on the, is a recipe for washing clothes. Out on the farm, you put that boiling water in the old wash pot, you know, and you chip up that lye soap. Anyway, I gave them one, and they just had a fit. Showed it to another lady there. She had no idea what they were talking about. She thought, she looked at that thing like it was all Greek. I thought, well, it tells you what generation. But anyway, be that as it may. What verse would we on? 21, okay. Now in verse 22, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. In other words, vengeance are against our enemies. God will take care of it. He'll do the saving out of the situation. Don't go and fight with everybody just to get even. It says, Say not, I will recompense evil. Don't say, I'm going to repay that guy back. A lot of people get that attitude. Boy, I'm going to pay him back. You ever heard people say that? Well, just as sure as you do, there's going to be another one that comes around the corner that's going to pay you back. And it's, it's going to be a vicious circle of paybacks. But if you leave it to God, he'll, he'll balance the scales of justice. Wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. Verse 23 is uh, rather akin to what we talked about in verse uh, uh, 10. Notice, it says, Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and a false balance is not good. That's fraud, fraudulent. Verse 24, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Did you know God and his providence can overrule even evil intentions and evil designs? It says, man's goings are of the Lord. Let me, let me apply that to something else. You remember when Peter preached in the book of Acts chapter 2? Listen, concerning the death of Jesus. And you remember Jesus was taken and crucified on the cross, put on the cross and crucified, hung on the cross, and he was taken by the hands of men. And what did Peter say? Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was of God. You say, well, they were wicked men. Yes, they were. And it didn't excuse them from their sin. But him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he says, you have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. It did not excuse them from their wickedness and their sin and doing what they did to Jesus. But it was God. It was God all over. Overall. Working out the plan of salvation for you and I. And that was according to His plan and purpose in order to redeem us to God. 
And God permitted His only begotten Son to be crucified by the hands of wicked men in order to redeem us by His blood and to make a covering for our sins. You think things are not of God? Well, Dr. Oldham, one of my great, wonderful professors down at Arlington Baptist College, Bible Baptist Seminary in those days, said, well, what is to be will be, whether it ever happens or not. And that's just about the way things go. God in His providence can overrule. He makes, the Bible says, He makes the wrath of man to what? Praise Him. He can make the wrath of man to praise Him. He said to, to old Pharaoh, remember that rebelled against God and re- rebelled against Moses and rebelled against the, the judgments? And old Pharaoh would say, I have sinned. And he'd say, Moses, take away these plagues. And he'd harden his heart again. But he'd, he'd claim he'd, that he had sinned. And God said concerning Pharaoh, for this purpose, this cause, have I raised thee up, that I might show in thee my power. He showed his power over wickedness. And over rebellion. Remember when the frogs were in the land? And they were in the, the bed chambers. They were in the uh, parlor. They were in the living rooms. They were all over. They were in the kneading troughs where they made bread. Can you imagine starting to knead the bread? And, and have a bunch of frogs hopping around in there? That wouldn't be very appetizing, would it? In fact, it would be kind of hard to continue on, wouldn't it? And old... Uh, Pharaoh said to Moses, says, I want you to take these frogs away. He says, I'm tired of these slimy, terrible frogs that, God, that you brought on this land. And he says, ask God to remove the frogs. Now listen carefully, listen carefully. And Moses says, when will you that I remove the frogs? He said, tomorrow. I'd have said right now, wouldn't you? Can you imagine? What? And that's the way people are in sin. Say, when are you going to get right with God? Well, tomorrow. Don't just go live in the slime and the dirt and the filth till another day. And then when that other day comes, you still are not ready to get out of it. I admire people that when the Holy Spirit moves on their heart and they say, I know what's right to do, do it. Then's the time to do it. And I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about using common sense and using your head. And when God says this is right, do what's right. When He says it's wrong, we'll stand against that. I'm thankful for these boys and girls and for Kay that that in their time they made their decision to do what God wanted them to do without any extra uh, persuasion and pushing and shoving and, and pulling. The Holy Spirit is able to cause us to know what we ought to do and He's able to cause us to make our move at the right time. Alright? Look at this. It says uh, in verse uh, 25, It is a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy, and afterward, and after vows to make inquiry. Do not thoughtlessly dedicate things to God without considering your ability or your willingness to honor such a commitment. People make vows they don't intend to keep. Look at that verse again. I say, you say, preacher, why do you repeat it? Because I think we need to really analyze a verse to get it. It is a snare to a man, to the man who devours that which is holy, and after vows to make inquiry. In other words. He indulges himself in the wrong thing and then he asks God if it's the right thing to do. Another comment, that is to apply or to take for his own use that which was appointed to God's and then ask God, then ask how he may be exempt from the fault of doing it. Do you see people do that? Apply or take for his own use that which was appointed to God, to God's use, and then ask how he may be exempt from the fault. Say, God, now, you know, I didn't mean it. Do not thoughtlessly see, again, the other comment, dedicate things to God without considering your ability or willingness to honor such a commitment. In other words, making vows without considering. It is a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy and afterward vows 
after vows to make inquiry. Then he said, I'm going to find out about it. Was that the right thing or the wrong thing? And he pleased to ask these five. Let me read this for you. Verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow, look at verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for it hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it thou shouldest not vow. Don't promise God. Talk about man promising. You know, we got these promisers today. God keeps promises, and man usually breaks them. And I'll say no more about that. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. If you tell God you're going to do something, you ought to be willing to, and, and able and willing to do exactly what you said. And if you're not willing to do it, don't say I'm going to do it. We have a lot of young people today that are pressured in to say, well, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a preacher. And I want to listen. If you really want to and you mean it, that's one thing. But you better consider the source. You better count the cost. And I've known a lot of preachers' kids that were just pushed into that. And they said, well, I wanted to be good and I wanted to be a missionary. And, uh, but they, they were too young to realize the commitment they were making sometimes. Sometimes it's made on the spur of the moment or by pressure from someone else. Now then, when they really mean it, I surrendered to preach when I was 20 years of age or 20, about 21 or 2, 22 years of age, I should say. And, uh, you, you learn to do what God has called you to do and be willing to follow through with it. I remember when I came home from after I surrendered to preach that Sunday morning over in Deval, Oklahoma, I came home, my father-in-law says, so you're going to try preaching. And I've been trying ever since. But that's not the way he meant it, of course. Anyway, God knows what we can do and what we're willing to do. But don't ever say you're going to do it and not be willing to pay the price. Count the cost. Count the cost. And you say, I want to be a preacher. Well, you say, it's going to cost me. I'm going to uh, be trained for it. And I want to do it because I love the Lord. And I want to do it because God has called me. I want to do it because He's laid it upon my heart. And that's what I'm going to do by the grace of God. And that's where you stand. And let God help you through the, all the rough places of doing it. Now, the next thing. A wise king scattereth the wicked and bringeth the wheel over them. In the old days, they had the threshing wheel. A cartwheel. And that was the kind of punishment that was being used. We'll try to finish this chapter and then close. The spirit of man is a candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, it's a lamp that shines inside. It has to do with conscience. It has to do with the Holy Spirit. Look at that. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. It's a lamp. See, God has made man a spirit. And he has a little lamp in there searching out the inside. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and He brings added conviction and enlightenment. And when He does, you know, Paul says, My conscience also bearing me witness with the Holy Ghost. You see, man does have a light inside. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So there's some light there. And the light is given there to enlighten us as to the very darkness of the inside. And you've heard me teach time and time again in Sunday school how that in Romans chapter 2, it says that when the Gentiles who have not the law do by nature, listen carefully, the things contained in the law, they say, well, I didn't know it was wrong. It says, they having not the law are a law unto themselves, their conscience 
either bearing witness or accusing or else excusing one another. Their conscience has something to do with they, it. They have to go by that law of God that's written on their conscience. How many people have you heard say, well, you know, I didn't know this was wrong, I didn't know that was wrong. Did not some little something deep inside you tell you that certain things were wrong, certain things were right? Well, if it didn't, I don't know, I may be a unique kind of a person because it sure does me. Does it you? Sure it does. It tells you when things are wrong or things are right. That little old conscience comes up, and then the Word of God comes, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and it just really drives it home, doesn't it? All right, let's look at the next verse. Three more verses. Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. There's a lot of love when that is exercised. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is a gray head. In other words, youth and old age, the glory and the beauty. And then the last one, verse 30. The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. Bruising, cutting, a severe beating. The blueness of the wound cleanseth away evil. Chastening should be attended by prayer for the objective to be realized. So do the stripes, the inward parts of the belly. Sometimes sharp punishment that pierces even the inward parts is profitable for the wicked to bring them to God and to bring them to repentance. And these things are necessary. Even chastening for the child of God. Next chapter will be on the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Thank you very much.